change the way it's done, do it quicker, faster, whatever it is, that's true innovation. How'd they do that? Step number one would be try it. Have you tried? What, what innovation are you talking about? What's the number one priority? What do we have to innovate first? Hi everyone, Mark here and welcome to the Indifference Podcast. This is where we have conversations with people at the top of our game and try and uncover what is it they do to create progress in their space. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by two people, Bill Ollett, Professor of Entrepreneurship at MIT Sloan School of Management, and he's also the author of Disciplined Entrepreneurship, 24 Steps to a Successful Startup. It's one of the best business and startup books out there. I'm sure you've heard of it. If you haven't, I'd really recommend that you check it out. And I'm also joined by someone who Bill has taught over the last few years, Karina Hanrahan. Karina is Product Manager at Limerick City and County Council, where she works on their strategic innovation team. Karina is the appointed expert on the EU's co-funded Urbac project that looks to build smart cities and communities to tackle climate change. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Hope you enjoy it because it's absolutely packed with so many insights. So let's get straight into it. Bill and Karina, thanks very much for joining me today. Really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Bill, I might just kick things off with you and just ask, you know, that kind of early question of, you know, what first got you interested in innovation and entrepreneurship? You know, I, I, uh, I didn't know anything about it when I graduated from college, and, um, but I loved basketball and I liked the, 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 the beauty of basketball and that it was merit-based. No one cared about who your mommy and daddy were or whether you were black, white, green or whatever. It was just, did you get the job done? And, um, and, and that, that, that transferred over very well to entrepreneurship. And when I saw entrepreneurship, I felt like what you did made a real difference and it was unfiltered in that. And um, you didn't need to kind of talk about it. It just was clear. So to me, I like the, the creation aspect of entrepreneurship, um, the merit-based aspect of entrepreneurship and the impact uh, of it. Great. And Karina, you've had a lot of experience as well in innovation on um, entrepreneurship as well. And lately you've been really focusing on kind of these really specific programs in, in Limerick City. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Slightly different to Bill. I came from... Um... Uh, a background of being an entrepreneur um, from a very young age. My, my, my father got very unwell when I was in first year, when I was 13, and uh, he lost his business. So um, I ended up putting a business together with my mum at the time. And uh, we started selling secondhand clothes, which in Ireland was unheard of, um, and out at the markets, and then started buying from the American market and bringing in Levi's and up. I suppose upcycling is what they'd call it today. Basically, it was making a few bob. Um, and we ended up covering the bottom half of Ireland selling stuff like that. So um, I opened my first business at 17 before I did the Leaving Cert. Um, and then I went to art college. So I, I was always interested in the creative side of things. Yeah, I suppose my interest with Smart Cities at the moment um, is very much about, Bill's model is about making things that are fit for purpose. Um, and how do you build cities around um, needs-based provision? Um, and here in Limerick, I was very lucky to join a team that was really, really innovative. I suppose I'm aware I'm wearing a couple of different hats, and these are my own opinions as opposed to the, the organization here. But, um, but there was already the framework and infrastructure. Limerick City and County Council had its two 
councils, the city and the county merge in 2014, and they built a matrix model. So it actually has a different organizational structure than any other council in Ireland that had created the first regional digital strategy in Ireland four years ago. Um, it, it was very easy with those frameworks in place to then see how we could could use those in order to work directly with the different organizations and sectors in the city. It's amazing, isn't it? And like even just to hear the story that you know, that's quite a short space of time for a whole city and uh, and county to completely redesign their infrastructure and how they're going to you know position themselves to tackle a lot of these problems and needs that uh, that the citizens have. And Bill, can I just ask, you know, what's been what's been your role in in this project so far? I'm in my, I'm an admirer. <laughs> what I see and why I'm so excited to be here with Karina is that entrepreneurship used to be all about startups. And like when Karina was talking about what she, she was, um, you know, how she got started in entrepreneurship. And what we're seeing today, especially with COVID, since COVID happened, is entrepreneurship is not just about startups. Entrepreneurship is a mindset, a skill set, and a way of operating that that allows you to have much faster impact, much more purposeful impact, a much more efficient impact. And this is not just in startups, it's in big companies, it's in it's in governments, it's in academic institutions, and it's in um, in people's personal lives. I mean, to deal with you know, entrepreneurship is about change and COVID has created a change at, at an epic level. And, but in today's world, we see change coming faster and faster. So entrepreneurship is not just for people in startups. It's really got to be for everybody because the pace of change is going so fast that people need to be trained how to be an entrepreneur. And that doesn't mean they have to do a startup. That means they have to, you know, go into Limerick City Council and say things are changing. How do we how do we use that kind of mentality? How do we use those frameworks? How do we make a difference for our customers? In this case, the citizens of the city. So I find this just absolutely fascinating and a, and a huge mega trend that's going on right now. Um, that is entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial mindset, skill set, and way of operating is far beyond just startups now. It's permeating our society as things as we see such rapid change. And Bill, when you go in and, you know, support startups or entrepreneurs and now like what to say more, you know, no social organizations, whether they be city councils or public representatives, you know, what are the key things you do to, to focus on to, to help them make the change that they want? That's a good question. I don't really know. I, that's why I'm here to hear from Karina. <laughs> because Theodore, Theodore Roosevelt once said, the credit doesn't go to the person sitting in the stands. The, the credit goes to the people who are on the field. And so um, from my standpoint, I put together what I learned. You know, I'm now in my 60s. Um, I'm not that smart. Um, and I made a whole bunch of mistakes and I, and I'm just fascinated about those things that I learned and, and how can I give that back to other people so that they don't make the same mistakes? Because thing I have is the, I have wisdom and what is wisdom? Wisdom is scar tissue from all the mistakes you make. And I think that's the best way to teach, teach is to try to teach people, you know, here's the things that I learned and here's what to avoid. You know, everybody says they don't want to reinvent the tire. Well, you know what? I don't want to I don't want to reinvent and I don't want other people to reinvent the flat tire. So a lot of what wisdom has to do is how to not to do things and um, as well as how to do things. So my role is just 
admiration, as I said, and, and see what they do, and then hopefully be a vessel to transfer that information to other people and other cities as to how they can be entrepreneurial in different settings and scenarios. It's really interesting to hear that and kind of just speaks to the importance of, you know, having someone there who, who can mentor people along the way and kind of give them the stir when they need. Karina, if I just ask, you know, I've looked at, looked around a lot and we had a conversation last week about a lot of the work you're, you're doing in Limerick. And it is kind of centered around, you know, that making a space for where people can come forward and test their ideas and prototype the ideas to address, you know, a lot of, uh, priorities for the people in the area. So when you're doing that, you know, what is that you focus on then? If, if we look at what governance or local government does, is it, it utilizes public money to provide services and to add value for citizens. And if you look at what a smart city is, is that it's built around something called the quadruple helix model, which is basically that across four different pillars, that being civic society, academia, industry, and, and governance, um, it adds value across those four pillars and the spaces that sit between them. And then there is also the element of um, the planet or sustainability. How does it utilize technology or data or innovation um, to provide things that kind of create a balance in that equilibrium with you know, the provision for the planet? So that was the starting point. And then it's a case of if we want to do that, how do we do that? And how do we understand what the needs of a city are? And so if we were to approach it from that perspective, in order to be able to derive insight from people. Where would you start with that? So what, what is the starting point with that? Well, I mean, it's a case of looking at the culture of the city, not trying to move people too fast, mapping where we are now and where we want to be in five or 10 years time, and then looking at what steps you have to put into that and understanding where the needs of people are. And that's really complicated when you come to a city by using like digital dashboards, and new media, two-way communication models, we can start to build a relationship and a conversation with the city. And over time, you start to resonate with like certain points that are relevant to people, and you can actually just ask them. If you build the right kind of communication tools, you can ask people, you know, does this work for you? And then like that kind of white papering of solutions with the people that are going to be the end users or the people who are going to derive benefit from it. Can I jump in? Yeah, yeah absolutely, Bill. Far away. Karina, what you're talking about is really interesting. This is why I was so excited to do this. Is So what you're doing is you're allowing the traditional slow planning process of cities to really be sped up. You're, you're allowing iterations to happen very quickly. So you're, you're allowing essentially hypothesis to be put out there, tested and refined and made better through what you're using digital technology and kind of this framework. That, and, and that to me is, is very, very exciting because the key to successful entrepreneurship is not just a new invention and figuring out who the customer is. It's very rapid clock speed of iterating. And now that I understand what you're doing at Limerick City and other cities, I think that what you're essentially doing is doing you know very fast iterative cycles to figure out what's the right product today and that could change based on consumer behavior and consumer preferences and external factors such as COVID, such as social unrest, such as Brexit, whatever it is. But you now have this very entrepreneurial process and framework and mindset to iterate. Is that fair? Um, yes, but you must remember, and I, I don't want to be taking credit for things that I didn't do. Well, you're clearly not an American. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a good look around Ireland and... Um, I learned early on that there isn't time in life 
for you to be able to learn everything you want to know. But if you can get to the top of the food chain, you can talk to someone who spent a lifetime understanding the section they're in. So I, I was lucky. I was in this kind of ecosystem that allowed me access to a lot of people and everything pointed towards Limerick, right? Limerick is the right size. It's like 100,000 people. It had set up this new organizational structure. It had its own digital strategy. It had a, a dedicated um, marketing team that was focused on the rebranding of the city and on developing that. It has a bounce point between America and Europe, you know, with Shannon Airport. It just, it had all the ingredients and it was already all there. And they also have like, we've been doing 18 months of design thinking workshops um, mm -hmm. with people from across these different pillars and looking at in kind of six thematic areas. Where does the city want to go? Um, there's also a wonderful Horizon 2020 project being run here where Limerick is a lighthouse city for Europe and it's looking at renewable energies. It's embedded sensors and buildings that are sharing the data into a digital twin. And that's deriving insight and then looking at that this is already the consumption. So rather than trying to change the consumption, how do you match, you know, the supply? All of these things were already at play. So for me, it was, it, it was a little bit of a no-brainer um, to be able to come into that and, and then to see where I could add a little bit to the value chain. Well, as, as Steve Jobs said, good artists create great artists steal. Um, if something's already working, why reinvent it? And uh, I think that makes sense. And, and, and as you're talking about it, you, you talk about Limerick. Limerick is a beachhead market by all by everything you're saying. It's a beachhead market. Let's make it work there. Let's succeed. And then let's land and expand from there and figure out, get the lessons learned and then start rolling them out. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting. And you know what's even more interesting, what I have found um, in, in, in my work is that an awful lot of data starts to show you where things might have to change. So if you want to innovate, sometimes you have to change the law. Sometimes you have to change the, the policies. It's great to be able to kind of like understand somewhat the lie of the land and bring in the people who, you know, manage those policies and can see how those things have to change. And that works really well. Um, and I suppose Limerick is a beachhead for Ireland, but Ireland can be a beachhead for elsewhere because it's still small and it's like relatively parochial. Um, it's It's got great interconnectivity people wear many hats um yes so so yeah that can work i think so is ireland more on like in the united states government is not entrepreneurial because i think in part like you're saying it's so large you you, you can't make it entrepreneurial whereas ireland it's smaller and you have a more entrepreneurial government even on the regulatory side that's what i hear you saying so my takeaway is ireland is a more entrepreneurial government than bigger organizations, which would make it again a, a good beachhead, a good beachhead within a beachhead. Limerick is within a, a another one. Is that fair, or, is, or, or are you just painting a brighter picture than actually exists? Because entrepreneurship and government has not been two words that you put in the same sentence close to each other historically. The thing about Limerick is that we we're, we're in the in in the middle of of huge change. Limerick voted. Um, over nearly two years ago, I think it is now, to have um, a directly elected mayor. It'll be the only city in Ireland that has this. One of the things I've found with working with European cities is that local government in Ireland doesn't manage education, it doesn't manage health, and it doesn't manage security. Whereas cities I would work with in Europe, they, they, the mayor and the city itself, the municipality, cover all those areas. So if you want to look at adding value across a, a multiplicity of different sectors, some of these things in Ireland happen on a national scale. 
in order to feed into those bodies and to look at, at creating change there, you have to have an entity that is national. As regards the kind of hierarchical bureaucratic organization of governance, no. I mean, it's not something historically that moves quickly and it can't move quickly because local government and government in general has two elements, doesn't it? It looks at provision for people and then ensuring that people maintain a certain balance in society. I, I would still say that government should have inertia in it in some places, should move slowly, but there should be another part of it, another operating system also operating within the government that should be able to be entrepreneurial and, and experiment like what I hear you say. And I, I, less is the future of, of large organizations. They have to have both. It's not like you can... You can, you can have management and not have entrepreneurship, and you can have entrepreneurship and not have management. A, a government needs both. And I think that um, we have to kind of build that capability in with what, like what you're doing now. Um, and it's not easy because government historically has been built more. It's got to be slow. It's got to be this because we're protecting the assets of society, as you, as you said. And I suppose the other thing is that like, you know, you're being entrepreneurial and you're looking at breaking ground. So most of the things that you come up with wanting to trial and try and do are new. And the thing about innovation is that there's a grieving process in innovation because you're asking people to do things differently. And it's funny, over the last like 10 years, I did a lot of work with startups. I spent almost a decade in supporting startups. There is that crucible moment as the body gets agitated and fractious. And it's just at that moment you feel like giving up. And then you realize this is it. This is the point where people are breaking down the barriers. They're moving outside their comfort zone. So they're quite like, it's, it's, it's this edgy space. That, that's why it's very interesting, your background. Behavioral economics or, or whatever you want to call it, behavioral science is so fundamental to innovation, entrepreneurship, you know, because we as humans, we are creatures of habit. We, to survive, we're creatures of habit. And this is a book called uh, The Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg. And he talks about this. And it's not a bad thing because if we didn't have habits, when we get in a car, we wouldn't know how to drive. If we didn't have habits, we wouldn't know to stay on which side of the street. We wouldn't. But, but over 70, 80% of what we do every day, we don't think about their habits. And the nature, as you said, is like when we try to change things, you're breaking personal habits, you're breaking organizational habits. And that's where you run into the inertia. And that's where the problems are. And you need to be thoughtful about that. But even when it's thoughtful and it's right, it's hard for people to change habits. One of the topics that for my thesis, which is built on Bill's model, I looked at tech innovation and I looked at all of our fab labs in Europe and how we could 3D print a simple container, right? So you bring along your printing and you would feed your containers into a kiosk on the outside of your shop and you would print based on your family size and your, you know, you can build an algorithm for anything, but you know, what size is your milk container and you print them. But one of the things is why do people not reuse stuff? So I got deep into the psychology of this and it was a case of we're lazy. We're used to being told how to do things. You know what I mean? My phone tells me, you know, Alexa tells me where my kids are. Do you know what I mean? So um, we've gotten mentally lazy. So the main issue was actually a returning to principles of about 50 years ago. When you're going shopping, you're organized, you bring containers. So I interviewed a couple of different people who have these refill shops. And they told me the biggest problem is people come and then they ask, but do you have any paper bags or whatever? Because they didn't bring any containers 
into which to fill the stuff, even though they're fundamentally aligned, they're congruent with this concept of being sustainable. So I, I've done a lot in, in the space of congruency. I, I find it fascinating how congruent the internal and external versions of the self are. The distance between the two is the marketability. And within that space is the space for innovation. So, so my feeling was, you know, how do we encourage people? What are the primary elements that we have to put in to change this behavior? And it came out that over 67% of behavior is habitual. Very little of it is built on our desire for change. So with all these people who all want to do things great, but with all the white noise and the different sets of criteria come in and it, it and becomes confused, those habits don't play in. Let me ask then. So, you know, let's look at the, the overarching process then that things you actually do to, to focus on. You, know, you, you have the conversation with the city. Over time, you begin to see that, you know, certain things are resonating with people. It looks like there's some of the key ingredients that are there that you're going to need to, you know, drive things in the direction that you think might actually make a difference in a particular area. So how do you know if your approach is working when it comes to actually, you know, testing the idea? Well, we have in uh, the, the, the 24 steps, we have the steps saying, do, do the dogs eat the dog food? Because in concept, concept and reality are the same thing. In reality, concept and reality are not the same thing. And so even though <laughs> you have these best played, laid plans, it, it does not always work. It, it works, but it, <laughs> it may work or may not work, but it doesn't work as well as it could. So you're never done with it. It's never a situation where you're, the, the day you, you're satisfied with it is the day that you, you start your company or your organization starts dying. Success always has an expiration date on it. So you're constantly iterating. So which, so what we, we, we do is we get metrics. We get metrics of engagement, metrics of net promoter score. By that, we mean how engaged are they? Is engagement going up? Is it going down? Um, we look at the net promoter score is how much will they go about and tell other people how much they like it? Because there's a big difference between satisfied and very satisfied. So if they're evangelizing for it, we know that we have something that's really working because um, that, that will create this network effect that will help us. Because if something's valuable and people aren't using it, it's not really valuable. It's like a product that's not used by people. So the only way you create value is by getting people to use it. And if one person is using it and they like it and they evangelize to other people, then that is success because they, that will create more value. So I think the, the point here is, is, you know, we're trying to create impact and to create impact, you have to have people engaged using it. You can measure going up or down. Um, and this is a really interesting area with companies like Peloton. I don't know if Peloton's in Ireland yet, but all companies, including Netflix, how do you use data to see levels of engagement? The second area is the net promoter score. You know, um, how, how much are they excited about what they're doing to help tell other people about it? Because the best salesperson you will ever have is not a person you will hire. It's your existing customers. So the engagement level, the net promoter score, and then the overall arching thing is you can never believe that you're successful in perpetuity. Success has an expiration date, and you have to be able to continually see 
are those customers happy? Because because consumer behavior patterns are changing very, very rapidly. I mean, just think, we're sitting here now on Zoom. The technology was available two years ago or more, but we didn't do it because it wasn't socially acceptable. We didn't have the habits. But now we do it all the time. So it wasn't actually a technological leap forward as much as it was a behavioral leap forward that has allowed us to, to use Zoom or other video conferencing. So those would be the three things I would say. First of all, measure engagement. Second of all, measure the net promoter score to increase your impact by getting more people to use this thing that works. And lastly, success has an expiration date. You've got to constantly moderate, do your primary market research to know what's going on and update it, continually iterating. That's why I found what Karina was talking about so interesting is her systems, I don't mean yours, Karina, as you said, we all stand on <laughs> the work of other people. But the fact that they have these systems that give you rapid feedback is not something I have seen in American cities. And I think that's a terrific idea to provide higher levels of, of um, service and impact to people in the cities and make those adjustments that need to be made. To add to that um, thing about it is there's no one size fits all. So the first thing I do looking at a city is, you know, how digitally mature is the city? And what kind of systems that does it have in play? And what is its communication channels? If you look at social media as being a method of uh, new media, two-way communication, a two-way communication model, the idea from a behavioral perspective is that eventually you step outside and you just observe people communicating with each other. So you're kind of a conversation starter, but you shouldn't be trying to have a, a tight hold on the conversation. You should allow the conversation to flow and, you know, it builds itself. And there's like tribal affiliations, aspects of the self. There's all these different elements that are built into that. And we have now digital tools that can measure an awful lot of this. One of the things we're playing with at the moment is building of a sentiment monitor. And how do you measure sentiment within that engagement? And we've been talking to all sorts of very exciting people. I mean, um, and like, I, I, I beg, borrow and steal from everywhere and ask everybody what they're doing and how, they do, and how much it costs. And, and, then, and so then we go out and we try to find methods of being able to bring in money to be able to prototype and try these different things and trial them and deliver them. So when you're, when you're approaching a city from that perspective and you're building something, if you look at social media um, as being today's version of the pub, Right. You can't be the boring sod in the pub who's always talking about what he does at work because people will very quickly learn to avoid you. So social media is not supposed to sell things. So social media is supposed to build relationships um, and the relationship between city governance and people is, is not very full of trust or has historically not been very trusting, because if we don't build that, people won't come forward. You know, why, why do they want to come and tell us what their needs are if they don't trust us? So. We have to build the relationships and, and, and build that into the model. And I think that's very important. Well, I, I think this is the, be, the, big, the, the biggest point here is that, to me, this type of thinking needs to permeate across society, um, not just in startups. And it's really beneficial. And the impact is, is, going, is going to be felt more and more so as the world speeds up. I don't know if you feel it, but COVID, the world's never slowed down in my lifetime. It just goes faster and faster and faster. And COVID has made that super clear now. And COVID has changed so many habits and knocked people so far out of their homeostasis that I think when we go back, that entrepreneurship is going to be fundamental skill that people are going to have to, to embrace. 
Um, and that's my fervent hope. And I think that when we do that, the world will be a better place for it. You know, cities, as you talk about, the relationship between city governance and people is just like the relationship between a business and its customers, right? And we can learn a lot in both ways on that. How is government treating its citizens and how is business treating its customers? And that's my fervent hope. And Bill, within all your experiences so far of, you know, supporting you know, city projects, but people and startups too, what have been some of your biggest insights so far? I think that the biggest insights are is that how pervasive and ubiquitous this skill needs to be taught. We teach management is historically management has been teaching people how to optimize large organizations. How do you make them more efficient? How do you make them more predictable? And that made sense 100 years ago. You could even argue that made sense 50 years ago. There is still a need for management, but what we need more so is this more ambidextrous leader, the leader who can adjust when there's change and see it as an opportunity. And, and how do you do that? You do that in a disciplined way. It's not just like, you know, oh, what do we do? And, and brainstorm and just try ideas. There's a systematic way to do that. And that should be driven by, a, a, to me, a disciplined um, process that has a beginning and an end, but it's, it's a sequential process, but it's not a linear process. By that, I mean, you're constantly iterating. And more and more so, as, as Karina was talking about, this has to understand the human element of it and the data element of it. In today's world, we collect more data. In 2021, we will collect more data than the entire history of mankind, going back to hieroglyphics and everything else with our IOT devices, with our phones, with our computers, with our cars, with our watches, we will collect more information than ever before. And we have to learn how to utilize that for good. You know, there's a lot of people learning how to utilize it for bad, but we need to learn how to utilize it for good and know that things are working as we talked about with engagement, um, you know, net promoter scores, and just making recent decisions and how to make adjustments. And that's, to me, what's come out when you see the successes in COVID, be it Zoom, be it Peloton, be it Grubhub, whatever. You see, they all have the same characteristics. They've got this clock speed. They've got this, you know, entrepreneurial mindset, skill set, way of operating, and they're driven by data. To me, those, that's the lesson that, that, that we, we, we should come out with right now. Karina, putting all that together, just as we move towards the, the end of our chat here today, you know, what are your hopes for how people in cities innovate in the future? I think that we're at a really interesting point in time. The speed, even the computational speed at which we're trying to take on new concepts is fascinating because we all have millions of ideas, but the idea is about 5%, right? And then um, a very, very clever, very old lady once said to me, yeah, you're all entrepreneurs today and in my day we were just doers. You have to get out and you have to do it. That's the big thing, isn't it? A lot of people have these ideas and you're like, it's that pressure of how do I start? How do I you know, get this thing up and running? Oh, ideas are a dime a dozen. I mean, we have this Nobel Prize winner, Ben Holmstrom, who, who, who gave this talk. He said, is disruptive technological innovation overrated in praise of imitation? And when you look at, was Facebook a new idea? Absolutely not. There was Friendster, the MySpace. Google a new idea? No, there was their search engine and there was what they did with Overture and they just put it together. And when you think about um, 
everything that Apple and Microsoft have ever done has been done by other people. They just kind of do it better. Xerox, they took what Xerox Park had, they made a better computer, Macintosh. They took what Fraunhofer had done and they made this thing called an iPod and built the ecosystem around it. It's all about execution. You know, it, the, the, the credit goes to the people on the field making the difference. And when we get distracted from that, um, we're, we're, we're putting value where the wrong things are. It's all about implementation. But the biggest problem we have is people consider innovation to be fuzzy. But it's a, one of those words, a bit like entrepreneurship, where people just don't, they just think it's too fuzzy and that it's too undefined. So being able to explain to people that there are set processes and there's metrics and that even if what you're measuring isn't economic value that you're adding, that you need to be able to prove things um, because otherwise you won't get people to buy in and get traction. So. As we say, successful entrepreneurship is the spirit of a pirate and the execution skills of a Navy SEAL. And too often people say, oh, it's all about the spirit of a pirate. You got to have that, but you got to have the execution skills of a Navy SEAL. To your point, Karina, there is there is a discipline process here. And, and if you want to be successful, you have to you have to understand that and execute it. You can get lucky, but. It's unlikely. Yeah. And I think understanding that, you know, doing a cultural audit of a city and understanding culture is important, but also remembering that an awful lot of people talk about startups and, you know, that you need to learn to fail and you need to learn to fail fast. But quite often organizations are not accepting of that. And the individual who failed doesn't necessarily thrive or survive in the, in the failure. So um, I don't think we can predict where we're going. We can just try to build resilience into everything that we're building to be prepared. That is the big hope that as the society that in which we live, that it's full of people like that who have the skill set to, you know, no matter what offense kind of passes our, our front door or whatever, you know, that we have the skills to respond and make things better than, than they were before. So uh, look, Karina and Bill, that's been massively insightful and thanks very much for, for joining today and sharing a lot of your, your stories and insights and uh, it's been incredible. That's fantastic. A community. We all, we all <laughs> it all comes together. <laughs> Listen, right. thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Hi, Mark here again. Thanks for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed our conversation and picked up a few insights from it. Be sure to leave us a rating from where you get your podcasts. And even better, share it with a friend who you think will enjoy it. Thanks again. And I hope you tune in next week.